Crime Conversations bring together the biggest names in true crime, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk. Welcome, everybody, uh, to this special live edition of Abuse of Power. I'm Sonia Pfeiffer, joined by my law partner, uh, life partner, David Rudolph. Hello. And Jean-Xavier de Lestrade, who's the documentary filmmaker behind The Staircase. And so what we're going to talk about on today's episode is what we'll call the tension between the First Amendment and what creative license allows under the First Amendment and someone's reputation. And we're going to do that in the context of The Staircase, uh, both the documentary that was directed and produced by Jean and what has recently dropped from HBO Max, which is also called The Staircase, uh, but is a docudrama based on, uh, as they now say, certain facts. Um, So what I would like to do, because Jean, you absolutely deserve the full introduction is give a little background about Jean because everyone knows you for the staircase but your professional background is very impressive I think I mean Jean started by studying journalism and law in Paris and he created his own TV news agency in 1987 tribulations tribulations and then he worked there for for five years while also reporting for European television and it was in 1992 that you became a freelance director because what you really wanted to focus on was sort of scrutinizing society and, and how we operate. And, and a lot of that ended up focusing on the law. Your ninth documentary, Murder on a Sunday Morning, won the Academy Award in 2002. And, and that, I think, is what really brought you to the staircase. So let's start with some background. And what I want to do is make sure everybody understands how the documentary The Staircase was made. First of all, what made you want to do this? What inspired you to do The Staircase? Um, in fact, Sonia, you, you, you mentioned uh, Murder on a Sunday Morning. So I did Murder on a Sunday Morning in 2000 and 2001. And uh, <clears throat> Murder on a Sunday Morning was a, a film about a young teenager, black, uh, Afro-American teenager, who have been uh, arrested and accused of having killed a woman. In, uh, in Florida. And uh, so it, it was about race, racism, prejudice. And uh, the, the young, the, the, the teenager was, uh, he was coming from a poor family and uh, he, he had to take to have a um, appointed lawyer, public a public defender, yeah, sorry, <laughs> public defender. So I, I did a movie for HBO and uh, HBO were very happy with the result and, and, the, and the film. And so they asked me to try to do another one on the same model, a true crime story. I said, okay, but I, I, I want to, to try to find uh, the opposite of Modern Sunday Morning, which means uh, I, I wanted to, to find a, uh, someone accused, again, of having killed someone, but in a, in a rich environment, someone who, 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 were, uh, who were well known in his own community, uh, someone who could, who could afford to pay a, a criminal lawyer, a very good criminal lawyer, and it's expensive. And, um, and so we, we try to find such a, such a case and uh, we, we look for, maybe we, we look at f- more than 400 different cases. 
And after one year of research, we found David, David Rudolph. Uh, I can't believe I had, it. I had no idea. Well, I, I, I just can't believe it took a year to find him. I mean, <laughs> he kind of makes himself known. You know? Yeah, no, but but journalists from uh, from uh, Charlotte. I, I, I don't remember exactly what kind of journalist, but I think it was someone from Charlotte who sent us an email saying, I know a private lawyer, a very good one. We just got a case. A writer has been accused of having killed his wife. He's well-known. Uh, it might be an accident. And that's all. And, uh, well, okay. After one year of research, I said, that might be our story. <laughs> I see. It was, it was an elimination. I was, it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we flew to, uh, to North Carolina to, to, to meet with David. We called him before, but we, he accepted to, to, to meet with us. And, um, and we met with, um, with Michael Peterson. And, uh, you know why I met with you? Because you had just won the Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good calling card. <laughs> <You know. laughs> in fact, that was a very good. Yeah. So we, we, it was in February. We just got the right. Academy Award. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I so remember. It, yeah. It's interesting because what you wanted to do, it, it sounds like, and, and tell me if I have this right, you win an Academy Award for a story that explores the criminal legal system in the United States from the standpoint of a poor black juvenile who was accused of murder in Florida. Fascinating story. And then you thought, well, does the system change when someone can hire their own lawyer? And that's what you were looking for. And was that the purity that you had in mind when you were looking for a case that later became The Staircase? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I really wanted to... Uh scrutinize the system just to, to ask myself and uh, other if, if the system change if you are, of course, if you are poor, you are black <laughs> with no means and uh, if you are rich like Michael Peterson was and you, you have very good uh, defense lawyer that's mean a huge team and, um, and uh, yes, I, I wanted to, 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 to really uh, look at, uh, at, at the system if, uh, if it was uh, totally different or the same. Right. It seems like the answer would be obvious, but I think the staircase surprises a lot of yes, people. Yes, exactly. Uh, David, what about you? When Jean, and at the time it was Denis, Denis Ponce, who came to talk with you about possibly allowing this documentary film crew to follow you around during the defense of a murder case, yeah, what was well, your take? Well, my initial take was no way. Uh, and, you know, I think what really impressed me was the feeling I had when I met you that you weren't interested so much in whether Michael was guilty or innocent. You were interested in understanding the system. And that was very, you know, I had been approached by 60 Minutes and yeah. 2020, and everybody wanted to do the story at the time, but I, I wouldn't allow that because all they were interested in was did he do it, did he not do it. You had a much deeper purpose. Mm -hmm. And that appealed to me. But of course, I was concerned because I have attorney-client privilege issues. You know, Michael would have to, of course, be willing to do it. But in all seriousness, I don't think I would have met with you 
but for the Academy Award. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. honest yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, for, and for a documentary. And a documentary oh, right. uh, th that was Murder on a Sunday Morning. Mm. But it was yeah. only supposed to be two hours initially. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We, we had conversations. Michael was very interested in having a French Academy Award winning documentary <laughs> director in Durham filming everything because he felt like the odds were going to be stacked against mm. him in Durham and that uh, having this documentary filmmaker uh, would sort of keep things a little bit more uh, even-handed. Uh, I don't think that turned out the way he thought. And then for me, I really wanted to disabuse people of their stereotypes of what criminal defense lawyers do. You know, when I grew up, I'll date myself here, I watched Perry Mason and I watched Matlock. Uh, and they were sort of, they were the good guys. You know, they were looking for the truth. And then all of a sudden, we had law and order, uh, and all the defense lawyers became sleazebags. Uh, and that, that really was the, the common perception. And I was just tired of it. Uh, and so I took a risk, uh, obviously. But I felt like, okay, let's really show people how this stuff works. You know, let them see what we do in real life. Uh, and then people can make up their own minds about whether it's necessary, whether we're ethical, uh, whether what we're aiming for is the truth, just like prosecutors are. And so that was my motivation. But you also did something very important, which I, I want to make clear today, which is have the French film crew send the tapes back to France and, and nothing could be released until all appeals were exhausted if there were appeals. A absolutely. That was, those, those were absolute that was requirements. Mm. And I don't know that an American uh, documentary maker would have agreed to those things. Mm. Uh, they might not. But for me, those were bottom lines. And if they couldn't do that or didn't want to do that, that was fine with me. We just wouldn't do the film. It wasn't something I had to do. Uh, but, but they agreed, and once they agreed, then I was much more comfortable going ahead. So now let's, let's talk briefly about how it was that HBO got to make the docudrama. I mean, first of all, these were public events. Everybody is now public people. At the end of the day, they didn't need anybody's permission, right? I mean, they probably could have made a, an adaptation without even coming to you. Yeah, but, but um, the director, uh, Antonio Campos, he watched the, the first eight episodes in 2007 or eight, and uh, he came to see us, me and, and the producer, Denis Ponce, and uh, asked, because in his mind, what he wanted to do was just to, to, to do a movie. It was a Fisher film at the time. It was um, a movie about the relationship between a crew, a documentary crew, and his subject, and Michael Peterson. And, uh, and I didn't really want him to do that, but my, 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 my uh, partner, producer, he, he insisted. And, uh, and I have to say, I was a little bit curious because uh, I think uh, it could have been interesting to do that. Uh, but it was in 2008. Nine and uh, he tried to do his feature film. He went to Fox. He had a contract with Fox Searchlight, and he couldn't. And after he, he went to uh, to another production company named Annapurna, and in in 2018, and um, Annapurna uh, thought it, it it was better to try to do a show for TV, 
a series, and and they start think they start at the time thinking for a series and thinking for a series. The best you can do is HBO. So um, they start at the time. But so this evolved over time. First, it was back in 2008 Mm. that Antonio came to you with an idea. And at the time, Denis was still alive. uh, And and the agreement was, yes, we will allow you to have rights to Mm. our story as filmmakers. Is that? Yes. And and, uh, and, uh, at the beginning, the first contract we, we had with Fox Searchlight, I was supposed to work with Antonio to write the script. And that's why I let him to look all the material we, we, we had, my notes as a director, and, and uh, he were able to, to go through all, all the, the, the material we filmed, which is... Uh, <laughs> I really trust him because I was supposed to work with him. I was supposed to write with him. So I was a little bit maybe candid, but uh, I let him uh, to, uh, to go through all this material. And we might say naive. And did he, in fact, go through all of the material? I don't know. No, I don't. it was so much material that uh, he, he only spent one week in Paris. So <laughs> you can't do it. But, but uh, that was open. Uh, I, I let him go through what, we, what you want. I have nothing to hide. Because, and, and that's very important. You can look at, at all the, the material we film. You will never find something where... I ask Michael Peterson, for example, can we do it again because you were not so... Uh, I want you to be more, more, um, more moved or uh, try to cry at that take or something like that. You, you, you will never find something like that in all we have filmed. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between what the HBO series does and what the staircase documentary does. You know, I was looking at descriptions between the two, and I found one that said, fiction screenwriters have long borrowed documentary techniques, and documentary filmmakers rely heavily on the tools of dramatic storytelling. Both filmmakers worry about protagonists and antagonists, rising stakes, and viewer investment in the outcome of a story. A key area where they differ is that while storytellers working in fiction are free to invent characters and scenarios, those working in nonfiction or in pure documentary are not. Nonfiction filmmakers can't take creative license with factual stories, but instead must limit their artistry to the creative arrangement of factual material, which is what you, of course, had to do with your thousands and thousands of hours of footage, right? But you had to stick to facts. Facts, yes, of course. If you're doing a documentary, and you you, you recall why at the beginning I was interested in doing that documentary, is because I really wanted to look at the system, at the legal system. And the the thing I am... maybe I'm very proud about, about the staircase, is the fact that today uh, uh, I had a, a lot of requests from a, a teacher, professor, university, law university professor who asked to use the staircase 
as a material to teach their students. And they ask for that because it's something, you, you can feel it's something true. It's something, it's, it's the way it happened. And, and, uh, and thank you again, David, <laughs> because you, you, you really play. <laughs> you, 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 you were very open and, and uh, we were able to film, to shoot, to capture things that nobody have done before. Or will in uh, the or future. Or will in the future, <laughs> I think. Uh, and, and so, of course, I am, I am really at be fair with the facts, fair with the characters, with the people, and, and try to respect who they are. And as, as you said, I, I, were not, I, I was not interested in, in is Michael guilty, not guilty, did he kill his wife or not? No, it's, that was the... Of course, uh, I had all this question in my mind when I was filming, but that was not the point of the documentary. The point of the documentary was to be the, the closest to what, how such a case, how, how the, the justice system treats such a case. So, yes, we are very close to the facts. Yeah. And, and you had the good fortune, of course, of having incredible characters. Yes. I mean, yes. a lot Excuse just... Me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure once they met you, they thought, this is definitely our guy. Imagine the arcs with David Rudolph. <laughs> but, the, but the truth is there is so much skill and integrity and talent in that documentary, which is why it is held up as a gold standard, which is why it is used as a teaching tool in film schools across the world. And in law schools. And in law schools. Interestingly and in, enough, yes. absolutely. But in law schools for a different purpose, right? Because it shows all of the things that happen in a trial. So let's dig into some of the, um, let's call them falsehoods, in the, uh, let's call it adaptation. <laughs> because I think it's really important to point these out. And, and I'd like to know, how you responded to them when you saw uh, what Antonio Campos chose to do. So I think we can call the most egregious falsehood as it relates to you, the challenging of your integrity. Yeah. So yeah. in yeah. episode five, you, Denis, and Sophie are in an editing room and you're discussing uh, whether to use this bit of Deborah Radish, the medical examiner. She has a testimony about a fractured thyroid cartilage. This whole scene is set up to suggest, not even suggest, no, but it says, it. It says <laughs> that you are making an editorial decision to not include something because it would harm Michael. When you watched that, how did you respond? I I really couldn't believe it because, uh, as, as we said, uh, uh, I spent many, many days, many hours, many, many weeks with uh, Antonio Campos, with the, the directors, uh, and um, I, uh, I explained to him how it, it is to work, to do a documentary, and I really thought he got it right. But obviously, <laughs> he did understand to nothing. It's, it, it was really hard for me to believe it. I, I thought, well, but it's, it's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with Sophie, the, the editor, with, uh, with, uh, even with Dennis, uh, the, the producer. It's so far from the way I think, the, 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 the way I am, that uh, uh, I, I couldn't really uh, go until that point. But I, I was really, really upset, upset, upset. 
You mm. called it in one interview um, a sense of betrayal. Yes, I, I felt really betrayal because uh, I really trusted him. And uh, just to think he could do that to us, wow. <laughs> and why? And, and why? And why? Because, uh, yes, because, because uh, the story is so <laughs> by itself, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> you don't need <laughs> to do things like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and also, for, for I spent I more than 15 years of my life doing that documentary. And to, uh, to, uh, I, 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 I did more than 50 round trip between Paris and North Carolina to do it. I really tried to do my best to, to get the, the best documentary ever. And, uh, and uh, just in a in, in few minutes, to, to watching someone who, who, who think he can do <laughs> you can't do that and destroy in three minutes the, 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 my integrity as a professional, as a filmmaker. Wow. And the integrity of the documentary. Of, of the documentary, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. of course. And yes. it, there are a handful of other things that occur. I mean, there's a look between you and Michael that looks sort of conspiratorial after he gets a new trial. And mm. so, so there are, it's sort of, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts throughout the rest well, of it. Well, but that wasn't a paper cut. That was no, a, no, that no, was no, a I, knife. I, I, yeah, 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 that's yeah, true. <laughs> you know, and I will also say, just on behalf of all women everywhere who bust their tail to do things and also raise children, Denis <laughs> Ponce got lots of credit for things that Alison Lushak did. She yeah, was yeah, like yeah, the yeah, on the yeah, ground yeah, producer. Yeah. And like yeah. Denis, I mean, and I covered that as a reporter. Yeah. He was in town maybe a couple of times, and mostly he just wanted to dine people. <laughs> yeah, You're right. and, and, You're and right. Allison was very upset by that, yes. and, and yes. rightfully so. I mean, yeah. here we are in 2022, and this Hollywood director uh, falls right into the stereotype mm. of the woman disappearing, and it's yeah. just the men making the decisions. Exactly. Um, yeah, and yeah, she had yeah. a baby at the time. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, she was yeah. pregnant yeah. during yeah. the trial. Yeah, and still worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, still yeah. worked. David, let's talk about some falsehoods. We were being charitable with that word. As they, <laughs> as they relate to you, okay? Uh, let's start with um, this idea that you abandoned Michael Peterson. First of all, they, they have a time differential. And, and I understand, and Jean, I'm sure you as well. I mean, sometimes you have to do this compression of things, right? I get right? that. But it matters here because there's a suggestion in 2006 that you abandon Michael Peterson. You're done with the case. You're out. Because I was engaged to you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to leave me out of this? Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, I mean, that's. I, I supposedly say to Michael, I'm sorry, I'm getting married, uh, and uh, I can't do this anymore. Completely and utterly false. Never happened. Uh, the truth was, uh, I was involved in that case for 15 years, as Jean was. There came a time in 2014, after 11 years of being involved, that it looked like the case was going to have to be retried in Durham. I was living in Charlotte, which is about 200 miles away. And the scene you see in the documentary is what happened. I say to Michael, Michael, I can't do a retrial, but I'm going to set you up with another lawyer, Mike Klinkasom from Raleigh. He's a great lawyer. Let's have a meeting, see if you all get together and, and, and get along. And if you do, I'll go to the judge, ask the judge to appoint Mike Klinkasom, and then I'll help Michael get prepared, and I'll be there behind the scenes. And that's what happened. So I never abandoned him. I did say I can't try this case again. 
Uh, and then, of course, a year later, Mike Klinkasim has a devastating stroke. Uh, he can't even represent anybody. And so I immediately jump back into the case. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that whole, that whole scenario, it, it just made it seem like, you know, defense lawyers don't care about their clients. And another piece of that was that it shows, you know, for the appeal, uh, Michael's brother calling me and saying, uh, we're selling all the furniture to write you checks for the appeal. And again, it's a stereotype that, you know, criminal defense lawyers don't, we're, we're just mercenaries. You know, we don't care about truth or justice or our clients. We just want to make money. The truth was that I never charged Michael a penny for 14 years after that verdict. Not a dime, I carried my own expenses. So to suggest that he was selling his furniture to pay me for an appeal when I'm doing this all for free pro bono is just offensive. It, let me also point out too, because I know you're focused on that right now, but you also didn't make anything for the Staircase documentary. I think people have this idea that because you are such the focus of that, well, you must have got a cut. You got nothing. Can you confirm no, that? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> wow. I mean, unless it's hiding and something from me. And we're still talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, you know, and then, of course, there's Michael. And, and there are some serious falsehoods on a personal mm. level. Forget about whether you think you like the guy, you don't like the guy, you think he's guilty, mm. you think he's innocent. It doesn't matter. What, that, what HBO did was quite cruel. One really upsetting thing to Michael is, is what he did in terms of, what, what HBO did in terms of the relationship he had with the Ratliff girls, Martha and Margaret. Mm. In the HBO series, there are these uh, not quite subtle suggestions that he wanted to give Martha away and not keep her. There are suggestions that he may have beat Martha. A and, and that is entirely false. And those girls have been through hell and back in what they've lost in their life. And then for that to happen, he clearly was outraged by that. And then there is also a suggestion of the family fighting infighting during the trial. That never happened. As a reporter, I can tell you that that never happened. I wouldn't know nobody happened. cracked. Oh, and, and you saw, yeah. you saw yeah, yeah, yeah. much more yeah. than I did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. understandably, Michael is upset, and he's lashing out. But, you know, before we sort of talk about where we are now, let's just talk about the importance to each of you in these falsehoods. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, the documentary itself, right, has been held as a gold standard. You have an extraordinary reputation. Why does it matter so much that this HBO film is defaming you? But, yeah, in fact, because it's a, it's a HBO show and it will be seen by millions and millions and millions of people. And, uh, and, and people, we, we will, we will uh, watch it. We think that what it's in the show is the truth. It happened like this, which, which we know it's not the truth, the truth. But, uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, when after, if they want, to, they, they want to, to watch the documentary, they will think all what they, they were, they, they, are, they, they will watch will, will be tainted uh, by what they have seen on HBO. And, uh, and that's, that's not possible. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. And David, yeah, what, shame, yeah. what about you? Your thoughts on, I mean, obviously there's the personal piece of it, but I think for you, there's a broader uh, uh, no, issue, right? Much, much broader, because my motivation, as I said earlier, was to show people how defense lawyers actually operate and to try to counter this uh, narrative, uh, this stereotype uh, that has arisen. Uh, and 
Interestingly enough, I think the staircase did that. I think I've, I've gotten many, many, many comments from people who say, well, I think Michael's guilty, but you know, I don't think the trial was fair, and I think you did a really excellent job. You were professional. I have a whole new appreciation of what criminal defense lawyers do. And that's not just for me. That's for criminal defense lawyers generally. And when I go around and talk to groups of criminal defense lawyers, I hear that, and, 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 they're, and they're happy that people have gotten that view. And now here comes along this HBO thing and re resurrects the stereotypes, you know, that I'm just in it for the money, you know, that I'm meeting my client in a diner for the first time, you know, that... Uh, you know, that th you like pastrami. That I, well, yeah. <laughs> which, I, which, by the way, if they had said corned beef, that would have been true, but pastrami, no. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it undermines not so much my own integrity, you know, but the integrity of defense lawyers. And that was really upsetting to me. You have called what uh, Antonio did and what HBO allowed an abuse of power. Why? Well, because he had such power. He, you know, he was able to craft whatever he wanted to craft. You know, you talked about the First Amendment. Whether you're in the United States with the First Amendment, you know, there's freedom of speech pretty much everywhere in the free world. And, you know, there's creative license, and that's fine. You know, if he, if he wants to, you know, portray me in a particular way, that's all well and good. But when you start twisting the truth in ways that hurt real people, uh, and hurt their reputations or hurt a group of people, that's not acceptable. Uh, and, and that was sort of what I was reacting to. And, you know, you mentioned the First Amendment. You mentioned creative license. It seems as though the recourse that exists for people who fall under this very, very large umbrella of public figure, the, the recourse is not enough. I mean, the reality is, despite these bald-faced lies that are in that film, you, Jean, would not succeed in a court of law because creative license is so broad and because now apparently there's a, a slight change in the disclaimer, but because they've put a disclaimer. Mm. Was that anything you thought about when you agreed to work with Antonio? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> now I regret <laughs> that, that uh, I trusted him so, so much. I, I, should have, uh, I should have asked for the uh, controller to read the script before he shoot, and, uh, and to, to be involved in the process of writing until the end, of course, and, and, uh, and maybe to, to have signed uh, a, a special contract with guidelines. Final about, cut? Yeah, way of final cut, yes, yes. Of course, but, but um, what we can do now, it's, it's very little. We can, we, we can talk to the press. We can be here. <laughs> but, right. uh, well, and talking to the press really is what you have decided to do. I mean, mm. Jean, the rest of your team, David, you have. Obviously, Michael has. He's, he's gone off on the press. He's actually gone off on you. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, what it's done is really put him in an uh, incredibly defensive position. And, and I don't blame the guy. For He's being angry, his children. absolutely, and who wouldn't? Um, so, but talk a little bit about your decision to go to the press and 
how to craft your message, how to try to do something that matters. I mean, because I'll just tell you, you Google um, criticism of HBO The Staircase. <laughs> and it's like, there's variety, there's Vanity Fair, there's Gawker, there's, I mean, everybody has a story on it now. You know, you commented to the local paper in Charlotte and as you watched. Does that have power? Do you have a strategy? Is it going to make a change? Do you guys think? Well, uh, let me speak first, because mm, as yeah, soon yeah. as I saw episode five, I called Jean. Uh, and Allison. And I said, this is just outrageous. You know, they're, they're attacking your integrity. They're attacking the integrity of the film. Uh, and I just thought it was outrageous. And, and my advice was, you need to get out ahead of this and make it clear that it's just not true. Because if we wait, it's just going to seem like you're making excuses. Uh, and so we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and John and, and Allison decided that that's what they wanted to do. And so I think all of us sort of helped each other to craft the messages, not that we were whining about what was done, but that we wanted there to be a recognition that what was in there was simply not true, despite the fact that it said over and over and over again, based on a true story. You know, you can't say based on a true story and use people's real names and events that happened and then defame them, you know, undermine their integrity. And so that's sort of how the, the message got made. And then I think, Jean, you and, and Allison, uh, and, and we, we went back to the, to the person who cut the film, you know, the, Scott Stevenson, yeah. uh, and got a statement from him, uh, because he's the one who actually did the editing on the courtroom scenes, not Sophie. But in other words, your your goal was, let's get ahead of this, because you, you saw it in advance. And and did you reluctantly agree? I mean, y you tend to be, um, you know, you're a quieter guy. Uh, you yeah. probably don't even like, you probably don't even like being in front of these people here. <laughs> At some point, we were thinking about suing um, HBO, because uh, it's... Um, uh, as you said, uh, David, uh, it's it's really it's not only for me, but but it's it's for all the community of the of the filmmakers, people who are doing documentary. If the audience thinks that we are doing documentaries like the people, the crew uh, in in the in the in the show, wow, <laughs> it's so false picture of the way we, we work. But I think, as I said, it's very, very difficult to go in front of a court with... Uh, with well, that. in the United States, here it's easier. Well, um, but hold on. Let me just tell you, I spent a little time looking into this. Oh, sorry. And you asked earlier about the Titanic. And do you want to know? Yeah. You want to know how bad it gets? Yeah. So everyone <laughs> knows the movie Titanic, right? Academy Award winning movie. As a matter of fact, the majority of Academy Award winning movies are based on true events or true stories, so this is not going to stop. But in 1997, Titanic released their film, and they portray William Murdoch, he's an officer on the ship, as shooting panicked passengers and in the end killing himself. I bet you guys remember that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really impactful. Well, guess what? Totally made up. All right. Testimony. Was that his real name? Yes. Testimony <laughs> from actual witnesses to the event state that he gave his life jacket to a passenger and then died when he was washed overboard while trying to deploy a life 
boat. Wow. So he um, got nowhere with that. One of the filmmakers uh, counter-argued um, that they mentioned other people shooting. This was creative license. They did give a $5,000 check to his hometown, and he got an apology from one of the producers. Um, the, you know, there's a, there's a, a street versus national broadcasting. That's another one that deals with a based on a true story, a high-profile controversy, uh, the film Hoodlum. Uh, they defamed Thomas Dewey as this uh, mm. prosecutor who, anyway, apparently people swore up and down about his in integrity. Went nowhere. I mean, it's, it can be that bad. It can be the complete opposite of what happened. So, so the, the question, I mean, if we end on a high note, if we end on something that gives people hope, what do you do? Well, I think the first thing you do is you sign contracts <laughs> <laughs> to protect your work. You call a lawyer. <laughs> you are. Uh, <laughs> you know a few, Sean. Yes. As I tell my clients after they speak to the police, call a lawyer first. <laughs> so uh, that's the first thing that can be done. And I think, you know, there ought to be some sort of code of conduct or some sort of ethical guidelines on this. Well, there already are. You have to trust people to follow them. Well, what are, what are the, what do the guidelines uh, say? I mean, if, if you are doing if you are doing fiction, the guidelines. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what they are, but what I can tell you is when I was looking that there are ethical constraints. There are books written about this. What should you do? But what gets audiences' attention? Right. Well, but a lot of this was unnecessary to get. It's the always un was it necessary to make you know William Murdoch uh, right. evil? No. Uh, I mean, come on. No. So as, as soon as you're using, I mean, at least he was dead already, you know. So it's but it, his family wasn't. Was of sure. No, that that's, and actually, and if you've passed away, it makes it harder to well, even sue. That's they true. couldn't sue he was dead. At least Dewey could. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. So back to being positive. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk I just to got a lawyer. Sucked down in that. <laughs> you talk to a lawyer. You sign contracts, right? And then if you have to go on the offensive, you go on the offensive. And you do it in England, where the laws are much more favorable for defamation. Okay, there you go. Maybe we should all just move here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, listen, we are going to wrap it up. Jean, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for mm. joining us here. Um, if you have not listened to Abuse of Power, David, my podcast, it's on Audible UK. Seasons one, two, and three are all now available. We love hearing from people. We love story ideas. We love your feedback. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram. And we will sign out. I'm Sonia Pfeiffer. And I'm David Rudolph. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Crime Conversations, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022 partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk.